Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Tonight on the Hinckley Report, week three of Utah's legislative session comes to an end with major issues still undecided. As the state gears up for a historic primary election, big announcements shake things up. Senator Romney grapples with the fallout of his impeachment vote, and a member of Utah's congressional delegation may soon be joining the Trump administration. Welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Utah State Representative Suzanne Harrison, Frank Pignanelli, political commentator and lobbyist with Foxley and Pignanelli, and Glenn Mills, anchor and senior political correspondent with ABC4 Utah. So glad to have you all with us. Big week in politics. I, I want to talk for a moment about something that people continue to talk about here in the state of Utah, uh, the potential fallout for Senator Mitt Romney on his vote to convict the president on one of the counts. Um, uh, Frank, let's start, start with you for just a moment because we've been doing some polling, and it's really curious to see how Utahns are feeling about it. It's not clear on one side or the other. Uh, a poll that the Hinckley Institute did with Desert News this week, in fact, asked Utahns what they felt. It was 49% of Utahns were positive about Mitt Romney for that vote, 40% negative. Explain that a little bit, because you, you would think there would be big discrepancies on one side or the other. Well, and being the only heathen at the table, I could, I could, uh, this is my opinion. First of all, this is a guy who was drafted to be a U.S. senator. And so it's a little hard to say we all made a mistake, you know, for especially those Republicans that wanted to be there. The second thing is, and this is what I can comment on that no one else can, which is this is a wonderful place to live. This is a great state. Part of it is, <clears throat> is the religious heritage, but also part of it is that percolating faith amongst so many members here in Utah. And so when he explained his vote, and talked about his faith, because what's happening is a lot of people in Utah may not like what he did, but they also, they, they've gone through the same process in their own lives and making decisions. So they're torn because they may not like what they did is, but at the same time, they appreciate what the process he went through for thoughtful and for possibly prayer. So that's what you're seeing. You would not mm -hmm. see this in any other state. Very interesting. Glenn, you were with our legislature as they were talking about this. He came on the Hill to try mm -hmm. to explain his vote. Maybe comment on that for just a little bit. For people who may, may say, I, I don't agree with the vote, but can't really fault you for voting with your conscience, as you yeah, say. Yeah, that was quite a morning. Romney watch. It was a week ago Thursday. Um, and there was a stark difference between how House leadership was responding to it and how Senate leadership was responding to it. House leadership they were mad and they weren't making any bones about it. That's where we saw those uh, resolutions and bills come from as well on censure one by Representative Lyman and a recall bill by uh, Representative Quinn. So Brad, uh, Speaker Wilson did most of the speaking as we met with him. He was prudent about it, but as I talked to other Senate or uh, House leadership off camera and off the record, they were mad about it. Over in the Senate, 
we met with them about an hour or two later, and it was clear right from the get-go they had zero appetite for censure or for recall. So there was a big difference between the two. Now, Senate leadership still was very vocal about saying, look, we think he made a mistake in his vote, but we support the president. We don't want to sit and waste our time, however, on censuring and recalling a U.S. senator when we have so much other work to do, not to mention the recall, Senator Vickers in the leadership meeting flat out said, that's unconstitutional. It's not going to happen. So there was a clear difference between the two sides. And I would add to that, from there were several resolutions and bills mm -hmm. introduced to either censure Senator Romney or praise President Trump or uh, Representative Quinn's bill to recall U.S. senators. I have received so many emails from mm -hmm. constituents on this and uniformly people are frustrated that we are spending precious time in the Utah State mm -hmm. Legislature with one of the shortest legislative sessions in the entire country on this. In fact, the day that they hit the news, I got a call from a constituent, very frustrated. Uh, he's a supporter of President Trump and was very angry that the Utah legislature is wasting time mm -hmm. on this when to him, his priority is that when he goes to the pharmacy every month, he can't afford the $700 in prescription drug costs that he has to pay out of pocket. And he wants us addressing these issues of affordable health care and how to clean up our air and how to make sure that we have, you know, address issues in our in our economy. Interesting. So that's what we're hearing is move on to something else yes. as opposed to about the substance of the vote by itself. Exactly. Stop wasting our time. But, but you, you have to compliment uh, Senator Romney. I mean, he took the red eye flight, met with legislators and other uh, important Utahns. That was a shrewd move. And I will add to that, uh, both uh, Representative Lyman and Quinn both respected that. They said even though we're still wanting to move forward with our measures, we respect the fact that he came to our face, answered our questions, and explained what he was doing in that vote. Okay, so we have to really talk about the ramifications. There's one, people saying move on, but as we as we poll Utahns, there's still the other side of the equation, these very Republicans, people that you talked about, right, Glenn? You're talking to the Republicans maybe in private are saying to you they're much more upset than maybe the, they're talking about in that resolution. So I'm kind of curious, ramifications going forward for his next election? Well, I think from what I'm hearing from people, people want to have elected leaders that their first priority and loyalty is not to a political party. They want elected leaders that are going to listen to their constituents mm -hmm. and, and vote their conscience when they feel it's necessary and not have that loyalty to party. They want focus on people and their issues. So Utahns seem to agree with that in our polling. About, it's about 49, 50% of Utahns are on that support. But the Republicans have to put in there. So Utahns may support him, but he's got to get to the ballot. Yeah, look, at impeachment will be just like what 20 some years ago. Impeachment will be an asterisk in history by, yeah. the, by the end of this year. Everyone will forgot about it. There are no ramifications for Romney because the country's moved on. There's not even discussion in the presidential elections. So I, I don't see any downside for Mitt Romney or for Donald Trump. It's the country's moving on. Yeah, we're, we're four plus years away from the election. People may not even remember this day by the time Romney comes yeah. up for re-election. And you brought up the point of the very conservatives. Those were the ones that tended to be, you know, uh, most displeased with the senator's vote. And if you look back at convention, I believe uh, Re uh, Re State Representative Kennedy, who was running against Romney, yeah, won right. convention. That's where you saw the most conservative Republicans voting for Mike Kennedy anyway, and that probably was the same in the primary election 
after that as well, I would think. Yeah, so Frank, so that's the truth, that's truth right? So we, mm-hmm. Romney did get someone attacking from the right last time, and he was able to defend that. And then and there'll be something like that, but he's not up until 2024. But the whole, this whole impeachment process, it will be an afterthought for, for all sides. Uh-huh. But I think the lasting legacy is that Utah voters, most of the issues that they care most deeply about are in the middle. And the extremes on either side of the political aisle are a frustration to many. And they want solutions and practical progress on addressing these issues like air quality and, and affordability of health care. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about a couple of those bills in just a moment. Before we leave uh, this, this topic, uh, so President Trump had some things to say about Mitt Romney just this very week to our own governor. What happened there, Frank? He said, you can, you can keep them. <laughs> we don't want them. But you know what? There is still an element of pride in this state for Mitt Romney because of how he conducted himself in the presidential campaign, because of the banner that he carries as a member of the predominant faith. At the end of the day, Utah's may not talk about it, but there is that source of pride. And, and, okay. and it's governor, going to- the governor was Mitt Romney's guest at the State of the Union address, by the way. Yeah. I've been really surprised at how clear it is that some people are just living in a bubble on this. I hear people make comments on social media, well, in my Facebook group, everyone hates him. They don't want anything to do with him, or I'm listening to so-and-so radio's program, and it's just nothing but negative. You know, I don't know one person that likes what Mitt Romney had done in this situation. There are there are microcosm bubbles that people are living in, and maybe every once in a while it'd be good to kind of poke your head out of that. Drive down I-15, you see billboards thanking him for his vote and saying that this is what courage looks like. And I know some of those have been funded by Republican groups. Mm-hmm. Well, Go ahead, and I echo that. We all need to talk to others that may think differently about all these issues in a respectful way and learn from each other. But I do think, um, as another person of faith, I, ha- I think history will look kindly on on Senator Romney. And in 20 years, when we look back at this period in our nation's history, Mm -hmm. I think he will stand tall. And the speech he gave was very moving, regardless of whether you agree with him or not. I respect that he voted his conscience and did his did his best by the U.S. Constitution. Just remember, most Americans forgot that Clinton had even been impeached until he was reminded. So <laughs> it's been 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, but let's talk about someone uh, President Trump is not angry with, Congressman Stewart. Potential new post for him. He's being considered. Talk about this for just a moment. So if Congressman Stewart is selected as the national director of national intelligence. Yeah, director of, of national security, yes. National intelligence, that's the official title. He would make, He would become the fourth uh, person to fill that selection spot in the last three years. And I wish him all the best. What are you all hearing about this? Because that's kind of a big post. This is overseeing all, all 17 security agencies. This is not a small position he's being considered for. Go ahead, Frank. He's, he's def- what I've heard uh, from the most close to him, he's definitely interested. The problem he faces is this, is that he's, he's one of the leading members of the Intelligence Committee. So when the House mm-hmm. uh, reverts back to Republican control, he become chairman of that committee. So does he give that up? to pursue this, especially, you know, in light of you got a presidential election coming up and yeah. in light of, you know, it'll be a new administration. It, so he's got a lot to weigh there. It also opens up an interesting possibilities. Should he do it? What happens in the uh, congressional district? Yeah, I've, we're all curious. Yeah, we can get to that. But I just want to point out real quick, I've, I've spoken to him personally on not necessarily this appointment, but in the past, we've talked about the potential of appointments because this isn't the first time 
his name has come up. And if you look at what's going on, he tends to be on President Trump's list for certain opportunities that come up. I think it's safe to say he is interested in a potential appointment. Uh, to Frank's point, he has been in the uh, majority party his whole time in Congress until this last flip back in 2018. And he's finding out life as the minority isn't as fun as it was in the majority. In my opinion, he would be the chair of the Intelligence Committee right now had Republicans held on to that. And so I think there's some frustration there. One, having to run for your job every two years. And two, being in the minority that may flip him over into being more interested in this position. Uh -huh. uh, Representative, we may be in a very interesting position. Let's take a hypothetical that he does get this appointment. That's three of our four congressional races that are open at the same time. It's exciting. So what, what, are you, what are you hearing about that? People who may be posturing, some of your colleagues also are starting to reconsider their options. I think it's too early to, to call that race, but I think this is an opportunity for some new voices in our congressional delegation. and. Going to be exciting to see who steps up and gets involved. Uh huh. So, uh, uh, Doug, uh, we have Frank. We, we've talked a little about people who are running right now, thinking they're going to run against Ben McAdams. Anyone that you are seeing out there would say, I think you may just switch over here and try to take this one on. Well, I think you might see some of those because apparently Utahns don't care if you live in the district or not. Well, it's not because the, the law doesn't mandate it, right? <laughs> the law so it's just to be very specific. Specific. Care. Uh, You know, Ms. Anderson may, may look at that. I think you might see some legislators also look at it too. But what will be interesting. Is because the last time we had a special election, there was a big fight between the, yeah. the governor and the legislature and the attorney general. And, and there's a smart money to say, you know, we're just not going to send anyone back there until we have the election and avoid a special what election. What would you say? Because that's a very say, real possibility. Don't, Congress is going to basically shut down in May. So don't, don't put us through the heartache of a special election. Just wait until they've just wait. It. Just wait. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Glenn. And I'm trying to figure out what they're going to do. I spoke with uh, the director of elections, Justin Lee, and we have a possibility here that he pointed out where you could have a special election if you go that route. A special election only goes for the remainder of the term. So you could have someone win in November to fill the spot for what? November and December? Yeah. And then months, what? We're months. right at it again after that? Okay, this is going to so be some fun stuff. It's going to be interesting to watch and see what happens. Okay, let's uh, turn to local politics because we're in the middle of this legislative session. Things are going strong. I want to talk about a couple of big bills that are coming forward. Uh, I want to talk about what's happened this week, this, these celebrations of women's suffrage. Because Utah was a little bit ahead, at least in this area, uh, than a lot of the rest of the country. Talk about some of the celebrations this year as we celebrate this 150 years uh, since the Utah Territorial. This has been an amazing week up at Capitol Hill. And today is the day, the 150th anniversary, that the first vote was cast by a woman anywhere in the United States, yeah. and it happened in Utah, Sarah uh, Young. And mm -hmm. it's just an amazing legacy that we have. We've had all sorts of celebrations up at the Capitol. And, and I think that today and this upcoming year is an opportunity for women to step up yeah. and get involved we know that there are 300,000 women that are eligible to vote in Utah, but are not registered to vote. And to me, that is, this must be a call to action yeah. for more women to step up and get involved and exercise that most precious right that we have to vote. They should all go to voter.utah.gov and get registered to vote and have their voice heard. I love the plug. Uh, talk about the resolution also oh, that yeah. was passed in honor of this. So yesterday we had a resolution passed to honor the legacy and the trailblazing women in Utah and to honor the 150th anniversary of Utah territory giving women the right to vote. And then, as I said, the first vote ever cast by a woman in the United States happened here, right here in Utah. Mm -hmm. Not many people know. 
that that was the that was the case. Uh, let's talk about a couple of bills that are coming forward. Also, Frank, you've been involved in this. It's interesting. So many bills talking about prescription drugs, insulin in particular, insulin, insulin, insulin everywhere. Right? That We're talking is, about that. I mean, this is one of those surprise issues. Uh, lawmakers, regardless of party or what house, are getting emails about insulin because insulin has been around for 100 years. All of a sudden that shot up. And so there was a hearing uh, last week. It was packed to the rafters. So you're going to see legislation dealing with insulin and you're likely to see some type of insulin uh, legislation regarding in pharmaceutical drugs because that is the hottest topic right now. Absolutely. I'm actually a co-sponsor of that legislation, Representative Thurston's, and I have a, a accompanying resolution, a bipartisan resolution, a call to action for Congress to address this problem. Mm -hmm. This is the number one thing I hear about from constituents. And as a medical doctor, I hear from my patients. Mm -hmm. This is a huge stress that people can't afford their prescription medications. Even medications that are decades yeah. old are, the prices are out of control. And we need, we need action at the congressional level. And we also need yeah. to continue to work at the state level. There's been great bipartisan work on this with leaders in the state house and senate um my two bills addressing prescription drug prices have a republican senate sponsor right. senator vickers there's a lot of bipartisan work happening at the state level to absolutely. address this crisis absolutely i sat true. in the republican house caucus meeting a, probably last week maybe last tuesday and that's what they were talking about uh, there are a number of bills uh, Representative perry also working on one so i think we're still going to see more come out but as Representative Harrison points out, this is a humanitarian issue. People are not able to afford a vital, life-saving uh, drug that they need, and that's uh -huh. where a lot of this uh, support is being generated from. So, so I represent a health insurance company and a pharmacy benefit management company, so okay. I can tell you, it's not. Oh, we're going to start throwing things at you. Oh, and, oh they've already <laughs> been thrown. And, 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 and look, at anyone who doubts that the legislature doesn't respond to constituents. Needs to spend an hour up there because that place gets inundated with people coming. Yeah. They send emails. And so the legislature is doing its job of responding to what constituents want. And so and it's, a, it's a great lesson in democracy. And I think people want that same bipartisanship that we're seeing at the state level on uh -huh. prescription drug prices to happen in Congress and action. I think people are tired of the talking points on either side of the aisle. They want solutions because mm -hmm. this is a crisis for families. As much angst as it causes me, yes. Yes, yeah, it's true. So, Glenn, you've been in those back rooms on this issue before we just leave it because you would think these, these arguments would just win the day. But uh, there's, there's opposition. Yeah. Even now. Well, I mean, we've seen these bills come up year after year and they don't pass, right? So there's definitely uh, opposition and there's some fighting going on between this. And there's a lot of, in that same meeting that I mentioned I was at last week, there was a lot of question of, or there was a lot of statement of, we're Republicans. We believe in the free market, you know, guiding these things. So I think there are some trying to find that balance. Where does government step in yeah. and how much do you let the free market govern itself? So one of the dynamics that's a, unique to Utah, two thirds of Utahns get their health insurance through their employer. Mm -hmm. So we start messing with that. You're going to increase costs for businesses. And so legislature's taking that in perspective too. But I think this is an opportunity and the role of the state is to, we are dealing with a, uh, an industry that doesn't, free market principles don't apply to healthcare right now because so much of it is lacks transparency. Mm -hmm. And you look, trying to find out prices for things, either procedures or drugs, there's a lack of transparency. And I think this is a role of the state to help 
you know, add those market-based principles to healthcare, mm -hmm. increase transparency so that, that consumers can really be empowered in their own choices. Mm -hmm. I just ran a bill that passed unanimously out of the House yesterday to identify and work to start eliminating potentially wasteful care, unnecessary mm -hmm. tests and procedures in healthcare to help bring down costs for Utah families and taxpayers ultimately. Very interesting. This is going to be really in you know, something we're going to talk about a lot over the yeah, next couple of issue. weeks. So watch that one closely. Uh, Representative, let's talk about another series of bills that I just think is so fascinating because it's become bipartisan. You are actually co-chair of the bipartisan Utah, you know, the Clean Air Caucus, nice. right? So talk about what you're doing there and this slate of bills that really seems to have bipartisan support. So yeah, the Clean Air Caucus is a bipartisan group of senators and representatives that work to pass legislation that can move the dial on air pollution. As you know, we have an air pollution problem here in Utah, and as a medical doctor, it is one of my top priorities to address that, help move the dial on pollution so that our health improves, and, and I think it's key to our economic future as well. There are 18 bills being run this year that relate to air quality and three appropriations. A few of them have to do with uh, elect electric vehicle charging right, right. stations. All across the state. Some bills related to uh, renewable energy. I have a, a bill to offer a tax credit for purchasing new or used electric vehicles that are in the more reasonable price range. Um, there's lots going on, and we had a press conference this week. One of the things I've been working on that I just wanted to tell people about, there is, uh, many people have been hearing about the governor talking about tier three gas. Right. He's been out yeah. there plugging. He was just at a event yesterday with Chevron. Three of our five refineries have stepped up to make this cleaner burning, lower sulfur tier three gasoline. But in talking to my constituents about it, many people didn't know where they could buy it. So I've been developing a project and a website that People can know where to go buy cleaner burning tier three gas. It costs the same as other gasoline. It's good for any vehicle that uses gasoline and it can dramatically reduce your particulate pollution from your tailpipe by up to 80% and it's something anyone can do to help clean up the air. The political evolution of this issue has been fascinating. Yeah. Because 20 years ago, you had a, uh, a couple of Democrats saying, you know, we're worried about clean air. And it truly has evolved into a massive bipartisan. You have conservative Republicans yeah. uh, on this issue. They're some, the, they're some of the harshest critics of polluters. And so it really has evolved into a substantial issue, which is great. But but this is not this is no longer a partisan issue. This is no longer just a Sully County issue. This is something across the Wasatch Front. Yeah. So Glenn, it's amazing to see this because a lot of these bills, at, like with yours, also have both sides of the aisle sponsoring right. this piece of legislation. Is this the year? Because the governor's also trying to put some money into it, right? Yeah. Well, we're coming off a huge year, record year last year, and I believe the recommendation from the governor is the same as that, uh, 100 million dollars. So everyone's getting behind this. It's the air we all breathe. It not only impacts our individual health, but our economic health as well. You know, companies are concerned about that as they look at Utah as a potential place to, to bring their, their business. So that's why you're seeing this bipartisan uh, coming together because it impacts us in so many different ways. Yeah, and this year was a record year for allocations for clean air. The legislature allocated $29 million, which is more than has ever been done before. And I hope to see that continue. I really think this has to be a priority for our health and also our future economy. Let's talk about how we're going to pay for some of this, because I want to get into what's happening in this legislative session, because, Frank, you've been in the middle of this, because we had tax reform. Now it's gone. Right. But is it? 
it, it's going to be a different flavor. It's going to be something a little more palatable because they still want to transfer money that's going into the Uniform School Fund for education and, and redirect it towards the general fund. So what you're going to see, you're going to see some removal of some sales tax exemptions. You're going to see the taxation of some services. Okay, so those come back. It's coming back, but it's going to come back. You're not going to see food. You're not going to see gas. It's going to be, it's going to be on those activities which generate very little opposition, if any opposition whatsoever. So as, as an, once again, probably the only imbiber here at the table, you likely see the liquor tax, which is dedicated towards school lunch, school lunch. is going to go to the general fund. So things of that nature, you're, you're going to see. You will see a tax reform bill, but it's going to be very politically sensitive. Yeah, after what happened, it has to be politically oh, sensitive. Absolutely. There is no way they'll be able to get away with making major changes. Okay. Well, I voted against the tax reform bill in the special session, and that was for multiple reasons, but I had overwhelming negative feedback from my constituents. It was just substantive and, uh -huh. and vocal. And I think we do need to look at tax reform. We do need to have a conversation about that, but I think we need to include more voices and more perspectives earlier in the process about how best to do that because one of my top concerns is making sure that we're not shifting a burden to middle or lower income yeah. families in in any type of tax reform process and as a mom of three kids in our local public schools we've got to make sure we're not just holding education harmless which is the term i keep hearing we need to make strategic investments in education we have a teacher shortage we have some of the largest class sizes in the country these have to be priorities mm -hmm. to sustain the kind of economic growth that we want to see in the future. Mm -hmm. Can I uh, just add one more? Because I always think it's interesting. It comes back every year. Are we going to get rid of daylight savings? What's going to happen? The bill topic. is back. It is a hot topic. Frank probably started having this when you were in the oh, house. Well, absolutely. I, I was I, I'm one of the first sponsors of that measure. <laughs> that, it just, Congress, I mean, could you do one thing before you adjourn? You know, this, 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 could you just take care of this? Absolutely, yeah. You'd be surprised. Some most heated battles years ago were over yeah. this issue because you had not just the farmers, but you had grandparents standing up that, you know, you want to be able to take care of the kids and things like that. I hope they do something about it. There's no point. It, it's, it's like a Model T Ford. It is ancient and our anarchist. <laughs> well, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. This bill that uh, is moving forward from Senator Harper, it would require two things. One, congressional approval, and two, four other regional states need to get on board. Here's the concern that I've heard kind of playing out. Let's say we move forward with this and we go year-round mountain daylight time. There's a potential where St. George is two hours ahead of Las Vegas. Business owners are concerned about that potential dynamic and how it could impact business. So I think they're really hoping to kind of get some momentum on a regional basis as opposed to just moving yeah. forward alone. Right. Last I like that aspect about having four other states in the region adopt it before it would go into effect. I hear about this from constituents all the time, and there's actually a health component to this. We know that hospital admissions for, for um, heart attacks go up on the day after daylight, uh, the time that. changes. So there's actually a component to help okay. with Maybe this Frank's thing. right this time then. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna have to- we Go home and pray. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for your comments today. Very insightful. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of the Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.